0: Right. Well, happy New Year. Year. All right, five of you feel good about it. Off to a running start. My name is Mitch. I have the joy also being one of the pastors and elders here at Redeemer City Church. And uh, man, what a good day to be gathered as the people of God. It is a little chilly outside now. If you were up north, I know, bear with us. We think it's chilly outside, but uh, man, it's been a it's been a good morning already. If you have a Bible, meet me in Jonah, the book of Jonah. It should be right near the middle, maybe slightly to the right of the middle. It's an Old Testament book, but it's getting close to the New Testament. So if you find yourself in Matthew, go left. Find the Psalms or Isaiah, go right. Okay? And uh we are excited that you're here. And so as we begin a new year, we're going to begin it, as we said, with 21 days of prayer. And, you know, there there is... Uh, some research out there that says it takes about three weeks to build a new habit, and so, as we uh, make this first push together as the body of Christ, uh, we want to build a habit we want to build a habit to where we pray first, where that's the the first thing that comes to mind right it's not a last resort it's a first response, and so uh, we want that to be true. And so as we do that, we're going to begin a series through the book of Jonah. And so chapter a week. So if you want to read ahead or follow along or study, uh, that will be the way it goes. And so uh, Jonah chapter one today. But what, what I want to recognize is if you've been in church for any length of time, Jonah is a pretty familiar story. Right. It's a pretty familiar story. And so my prayer for you is that it would wash over you in a fresh way as we think about it from this perspective of having a conversation with God. And and, and I love that because uh, next week we'll get into really the idea of what Jonah's prayer life looked like. And uh, it was, you know, aided by being in the belly of a fish. So that's maybe a little different than you. But we're going to look at that. But today, what I really want to do is kind of set us up for the next three weeks and really set us up for the rest of chapter 1. But as we start there, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to really think about it, don't answer. But how are your conversations with God? And maybe I should back up before that, because I think we, we play the religious card sometimes. But are you having conversations with God? You know, one of the things that I love about a new year um, is this idea that you get a fresh start. You know, it's true that this is a new year, but you are the same you, <laughs> right? So you, you, may, you may make resolutions and you may set goals, and I think you should. I'm setting some. But what shouldn't be glossed over is what the gospel just clearly presents to us is that you are you. And you're a sinner. And because of that, there is actually good news. When I when I get a real perspective, a right perspective of me, I can at that point then look up to Jesus and begin to do some of those things that I wish and want to do. But without that perspective, I'm not going to. And so uh, as you think about that, I I think we're prone to get religious with our prayer life. And I want to call us to both sides of that. I, I want to encourage you to build that habit over the next three weeks. But I also want to encourage you to be in a real relationship. Right? To be in a real relationship with God. And Jonah gives us an incredible picture of that because he is in conversation with God. And God's going to go first today, but it is, in fact, pretty raw and pretty honest. And Jonah's going to do some things that, honestly, you and I would do as well, but in the midst of that, there is this thread of hope that runs through Jonah that's really important for us. But, but before we dive into the text, there's a few things that we should actually consider about the book of Jonah, before we really unpack it, uh, first, there's a guy who gets swallowed by a fish right? I mean, let's just state the obvious. We, we, do, the, we do story time when we're, when we're growing up. And if you were like me and you grew up in church, I, mean, I might have been born at church. I can't confirm. I don't remember. But if not, I was there shortly after. And uh, I just kind of grew up in church. And I mean, down to the point, I, this, I don't tell a lot of people this, so you're lucky today. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I, I took up the tuba. And uh, notice you haven't seen one up here ever. And don't ask, because it's not going to happen, alright? Kevin has tried, Ben may have tried to twist my arm, but not happening. (laughs) But I remember playing this song about Jonah, right? Because I was the tuba, right? And I was like, I was supposed to be the fish with the musical, right? Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, here comes the fish, boom, right? And like, so we, we kind of get the story, right? We get the story, but if you really think about it, that can cause some some problems for you as you read the text, right? Because this guy gets thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish. And then he lives, right? And so we, we should think about that because how you respond to that will greatly affect the way that you think about and apply this text that God gave us to your life. And so as you think about that, What I I want to suggest is that if you're able to accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus, which is a greater miracle, then really accepting this story literally, uh, really there's nothing difficult about that. Now maybe you're in the place where you just, there's a a thread of skepticism in our culture that would say all miracles are are in fact not true. And I would just lay out there, we don't have time to unpack all of that, but if you want to buy me coffee, I would love to uh, do that with you and unpack those things. But I would just lay out there that that assumption is just that it's an assumption that cannot be proven. And so while while you sit with that, I would encourage you to pray through that even as we get started in this text. But an assertion that can't be proven isn't something that you should hang on to all that tightly. And the second reason for that is because the fish has very little to do with the story. (laughs) So if I could say it to you this way, don't get too caught up on the Old Testament version of Uber, okay? Third, so I'll catch up to you in a minute. Third, the narrative in Jonah can be broken into two parts, and I want you to think about it this way. So the first two chapters are one side of it, and then the second two chapters are, are the other side of it, but they tell Jonah and paint Jonah in the same light in two different settings, okay? As a staunch religious believer, And how he regards and relates to people who are different than him. And that's really important for us to notice because we live in a culture that these are very relevant things. And as you are called by God to step across the street and into the workplace and into the culture and be a light in the dark, salt and light that Matthew calls us to be, these are very real things. Because uh, as Jonah does that, we're also going to learn a lot about God. We're going to learn a lot about who he is and how he loves and works in the world. We'll gain insight into Jonah's uh, and God's look at people. We'll see that God has an opposition to toxic nationalism and racism and how God puts us on mission in the world. We're going to see those things in this text But these truths will definitely make us better peacemakers and better uh, people of reconciliation, both biblical and needed in a world full of idolatry, in a church full of idolatry. We can be real about those things. We can be honest about those things. But to fully grasp these lessons for our social good, hang with me, I want this to be something that is on the front of your mind as we go into the story. To really grasp it for our social good, we have to recognize that the main teaching of the book of Jonah is theological, not sociological. Does that make sense? That, that it's, it's not first about those things that we see on the surface. It's first about God and how He works in the world. It's theological. Our vision has to go up before it can go out. And that's incredibly important here because the main thing that Jonah struggles with in this book of the Bible is he cannot reconcile how God can be both just and merciful. What do we struggle with in our own culture, and our own day and age? God, how can these things exist in the world if you are really powerful and sovereign? If you're really in control, why do things like human trafficking exist? And yet, God is going to go to the very people who are doing those things in this text and give them mercy. And frankly, Jonah doesn't like it. Even in our own culture, I I don't want to spend time here, but uh, no doubt you saw on the news that our own country stepped into another one and people died. And that should at least cause us a theological conundrum in our own soul because every human being is made in the image of God. And yet there's evil. Evil. And God clearly deals with evil in Scripture. And so this is the thing that, this is the place that Jonah is sitting and wrestling just like you are. He's going to ask the same questions and hopefully we're going to be able to see through Jonah uh, and through his conversations with God a really good perspective on what God's doing in the world. And what I love about this particular book of the Bible is that the answer doesn't come to you through the book of Jonah. Jonah doesn't get a good answer. You're going to see Jonah go through the highs and lows of life in a real, very real city, and a very real call from God, and he's not going to get a full answer. He's not going to get a full answer. And sometimes you and I, we don't get a full answer, but we're going to land in a, a good place today. But that's important because what God does in the book of Jonah is he takes a sinner just like you and me, and sends him to other undeserving sinners with a message of grace. What's really tempting is for us to take that place of Jonah and look around at the world around us with their political ideology or with their, uh, you know, you fill in the blank. I don't want to spend time there, but you get the point whatever it is that bothers you about other people, whatever bothers me about other people, it's easy to tag them with that and yet miss what God's doing and so we wrestle with that. But Jonah is just one book, one chapter in the grand story of what God is doing in the world and what God is doing in the Bible. And so Jonah would spend three nights in a fish, be rescued Share the gospel with the people. And then he'd get upset about it. Because he couldn't truly be the rescue that those people needed. And you know what? Neither can you or I. Jonah, the book, points us to the fact that Jesus was going to come. And so Jesus is the more perfect Jonah in this story. Because what you and I need today, you don't need me. You need Jesus. You don't need a great personality you need Jesus. You don't need to make a lot of money. You need Jesus. Now, if you do all those things, God's going to use them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, wherever you are right now, I want you to know, no matter how good or bad things are, you need Jesus today. You need Jesus. And so we come to Jonah with, with that perspective on things and look at these first 3 verses and r- right off the bat things get interesting here's what the scripture says it says the lord's message came to Jonah son of Amittai go immediately to Nineveh that large capital city and announce judgment against its people because their wickedness has come to my attention verse 3 instead Jonah immediately <laughs> headed off to Tarshish to escape from the commission of the Lord. He traveled to Joppa and found a merchant ship heading to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard it to go with them to Tarshish, far away from the Lord. God calls... God's call to Jonah really was unprecedented on a few levels. The average Hebrew would have been fine with verses 1 and 2. They would have understood that a prophet gets a message from God and delivers it to God's people. They would have been totally fine with that. What would have really thrown off the reader of this story who first got it in that context would be the fact that God takes his messenger, his prophet, and does not send him to God's people. He sends him... To those who were not God's people. And now God spoke to other uh, places through his people, but never quite so specifically as he did through Jonah. You know, if we were to look, look through scripture, you see Daniel and you see other places. You even see God using uh, ungodly nations to carry out his message and judgment. But this is really the first time in scripture where we see God come to his prophet with a message for people who were not his own. And so for, for those readers, they, they would have been confronted and Jonah especially would have been confronted with who God really is at this point. Because he would have had a lot of assumptions and he would have had a large foundation painted of who God is. And you probably do too. The way you were brought up, what your experience has been recently. These are things that shape our view of who God is and how he works. And Jonah was going to be in that place. Really, the question I think Jonah was going to ask and is going to ask is, is God really willing to save people like that? The Ninevites were a vicious people. You know, when you, when you look back and do a little bit of history on who they were, uh, they were the people of the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And they were one of the most violent of ancient times. Uh, let me just read a couple of these things they would do, and uh, if your stomach's weak, uh, bear with me. But they would the Assyrians would typically cut off their enemies' legs and one arm. And as they were bleeding and dying... They would walk by their enemies and shake their hand and greet them as they died. In mockery. They would pull out their prisoners' tongues and skin them alive. And they would slowly die. Teens were burned alive and families were forced to parade through the city holding their loved one's head on a pole as people cheered. That was their parade after war. The Assyrian Empire really in that time put terrorism on the map. And it's important for us to use those words because it it helps us grasp what's happening. Because you'll remember just a few years ago in Egypt, uh, some Christians having their heads cut off on the beach. And so these are things that maybe we don't deal with now here but we do understand if God was to come to you and say, I'm sending you with a message of judgment to the Middle East right now, and I want you to stand up and declare it against the whole country, you would feel like Jonah felt. Right? Because God was going to come to you and you were going to look around at the situation that you had and say, but things are pretty good here. I mean, I'm with godly people and we've got a good church and... Yet God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go there. And Jonah's like, not a chance. Not a chance. And before we judge Jonah too quickly, I think if we put it in that modern context, we can more quickly see and more quickly realize that like Jonah, when God comes to us and says, I want you to go to those people, we might in theory know that God is good, but it tests us when we have to do it. And unfortunately, we don't even have to go that far, right, to the Middle East. Like for a lot of us, there's a people group, right? Who's the Assyrians for you today? Who's the Assyrians in your mind? And I don't want to push too many buttons, but I kind of do. Because every one of us, we have an Assyrian that we see in this world. For some of us, they're right across the street. For some of us, it's... The rich folk. For some of us, it's the poor folk. For some of us, it's people who don't look like us. For others of us, it's people who don't vote like us. And and these certain things cloud what God is doing in your life and in our city. And we have to get real and we have to be honest with each other and with what God is doing. Because if we won't, we end up where Jonah ends up. Maybe you are where Jonah is, running the other way. Not a chance, God. Not a chance. These Ninevites were a very real fear for Jonah. And in fact, just a little bit later in 722 BC, they would invade Israel. And they would take over the capital city of Samaria, the northern kingdom. And that would come home for them. That terrorism would come home. And so, I love the way Tim Keller puts it in in his book on Jonah. And he says, it was this nation. Think about it. It was this nation that was going to be the object of God's missionary outreach. And Jonah had a problem with that. Jonah had a problem with that. So then what happens? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind on the sea. Such a violent tempest arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah runs. He gets on this merchant ship and they take off from Joppa, headed to Tarshish. And Jonah's there and and this massive storm comes. Verse 5, The sailors were so afraid that each cried out to his own God and they flung the ship's cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. And then look at this. Jonah, meanwhile had gone down into the hold below the deck and had lain down and he was sound asleep. <laughs> if you've ever been on a cruise boat, which are way larger than merchant vessels of that time period, and the winds start to go and, and enough, enough of a sea starts to go and even that massive ship, you can feel it moving, right? And it's hard to sleep and if you don't have meds, good luck, right? If you have your kids on board, it's a real problem. Stuff flying, But this is Jonah, sound asleep, in the bottom of the boat. Verse 6, the ship's captain approached him and said, What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing asleep? Get up, cry out to your God. Perhaps your God might take notice of us so that we might not die the sailors said to one another, come on, let's cast lots to find out whose fault this is and this disaster has overtaken us. So they cast lots and Jonah was singled out. I love that. Verse 8, they said to him, tell us whose fault this is and this disaster that has overtaken us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And who are your people? Verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Hearing this, the men became even more afraid and said to him, What have you done? The men said this because they knew that he was trying to escape from the Lord because he had previously told them. Because the storm was growing worse and worse, they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. And the sea will calm down for you, because I know it's my fault you are in this severe storm. And I like the response in verse 13, because honestly, Jonah uh, deserved to be thrown into the sea, and he deserved to die, but it was also kind of a cop-out for Jonah, wasn't it? It was pretty selfish, right? Because he should repent, and he should go back to Joppa, and he should go the other way and do what God asked him to do. So even in this moment, while Jonah is uh, telling these guys, it's my fault, he's owning that, he still doesn't want to do what God called him to do. And so they instead, verse 13, try to row back to land, but they were not able to because the storm kept growing worse and worse. So they cried out to the Lord, oh please Lord, don't let us die on account of this man. Don't hold us guilty of shedding innocent blood. After all, Lord, You have done just as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord greatly and earnestly vowed to offer lavish sacrifices to the Lord. The Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days And three nights. What a story. What a story. I want to just briefly give you a couple things to think about today. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Don't worry, this won't be as long as the first part. You're like, he's just starting? No. But as we've laid that foundation and looked at this story and where it begins, there's a couple things that I think God wants us to see here as we launch into these 21 days of prayer and as we launch into this conversation with God that we're going to have. And the first is this, and it's the first thing in your notes, is that we must see the truth of our human condition. We must. And, and that sounds easy on the surface, but it is really easy for you and I to look at other people and see them as worse than we are. It's so easy to do. And what I want to encourage you is to look at your own heart today and ask yourself in conversation with God for Him to show you the truth about who you are, where your blind spots are, what, what it is that He is doing in your life. Because is it not insane that Jonah runs from God, is in the middle of a hurricane and is sound asleep? I mean, this is not a cruise ship. It was an ancient merchant vessel. It was not huge. And it was not built to withstand a hurricane. Now, I know the phrase, they don't build them like they used to. And that was probably true. But this is a hurricane. And God sent it. And this captain is horrified. And he's like, Jonah, what are you doing? Why are you asleep? And you know what? It's the perfect picture of our human condition, isn't it? I mean, think about it. If you're a church person, if you are in the body of Christ and are guilty like I am of showing up here every single Sunday, or maybe not even doing that. Maybe it's just really easy to stay home a couple weekends. But think about it. As as we're in that place in this culture, is it not so easy for us with the dust of death, as Francis Schaeffer calls it, all around us, with brokenness all around us, to to just be at church and and smile at each other and you know pat each other on the rump and say good job, you're doing great. I was really busy this week. Now obviously we don't do that, but so if you're a guest, you're like, wow, you do that? I'm out. I'm never coming back. We don't do that. Theoretically. But we do, right? We, we show up here on Sunday and we smile at each other and we, we act like things are great. When you walk that way or you walk that way or you walk that way or you walk that way, you can quickly realize things aren't always great. Some of you sitting here, things are not great. And we, we need to be real about that because if we're, if we're not, if we just think the professionals are going to make a difference for Jesus... It's not going to work. Because there's no us versus them. There's no church people versus not church people. There's sinners. And God has graciously rescued some of us. And many of us, myself included, are often in that place of Jonah where, thank you God for rescuing me, but I'm out of here. (laughs) Don't ask me to help. I want to call us to something higher than that. The Bible is not a book, listen carefully, the Bible is not a book about about you being in trouble and how to work your way back to God. That is not what this book is about. The Bible is a book about you're in trouble. We're all in trouble. But there's a good God who has graciously offered you a way to be made right with Him. That's what this book is about. So, we have to see our human condition. We have to be willing to look at that. Maybe you don't even believe in God today. You need to be willing to look at that and ask yourself why and entertain the reasons why and walk that road and do the, work, the hard work to figure out if that's real or if that's just a cop-out for something that was put in your heart that you know is true. Because there are good answers to your questions if you'll look for them. The Bible says it this way God said it this way if you'll seek me you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart. He's there and he's real. And so in our human condition that first word of of God's law that you aren't all that you're supposed to be. This world is not everything that it's supposed to be. Behind that the second thing I want you to see is this glorious truth that God is both merciful and gracious. So in the very same reality that you aren't who you're supposed to be, there's this beautiful reality that God is who he's supposed to be. That he is merciful and gracious to you. God is gracious to Jonah in this text, even in this text, right? It doesn't seem like God's being very gracious. Massive storm, giant fish. I mean, that'd be scary, right? Like you're in a hurricane and you're like, you've resigned yourself like, I'm not going to do what God asked me to do, so just throw me over and I'll die. And that would have been hard enough, right? But imagine, like I kind of see it this way. I can't prove this from the text, but I kind of see it this way. Like he's being tossed overboard and the sea's calm and then this monster comes up and you're like, oh my gosh, I am going into a huge fish. Probably didn't happen that way, but I like to think about it like VeggieTales style. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I just brought all of you back. Welcome. (laughs) But God is gracious to Jonah in at least two ways here. And the first way is this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. He unmistakably and graciously gets Jonah's attention. Isn't it true that for some of us, we've been doing this for so long, or maybe you've been running from God for so long, that it takes something incredible to get your attention Is God trying to get your attention? Surely for most of us, there are things in our life right now that God's trying to get your attention. Don't ignore the call. Don't make Him throw you in a giant fish at Clearwater Beach. What's He doing in your life? Look around. He is active and working in the world. Where is He? Is He trying to get your attention? Maybe you're at church for the first time in a long time today. Maybe this is God's way of getting your attention. To wake you up and say, He's real and He's here. And you have a very real human condition, but you have a very real opportunity to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is a very merciful and gracious God. God's gracious to Jonah in getting his attention because had it not been for that great storm and that crew freaking out, Jonah would have just slept through the trip and been separated from God. And that would have been the worst option for him. Worse than any storm that he might have walked through in life. Worse than anything the Ninevites could have done to him had he gone there. God was gracious in getting his attention. But let me ask you, are are you acting like or ignoring or living your life as though God is not trying to get your attention? Are we living and gathering as though God is not trying to get our attention in this time and place, in this city, in this country, in this part of the world? Let's not be foolish. Let's not be foolish. And look at the conversation that he's having with God here. First, it's Jonah that's going to hear from God. And then it's the crew crying out to God that they just met in a very fearful fashion. And yet their response is still correct, isn't it? And I don't know you very well yet, but I can clearly see that you're in control and you will do as you please. And that is true. And that strikes fear first. But isn't it incredible that as they make that declaration about God, as they learned that about God, what God is capable of in His justice, that immediately, when they were given that correct perspective of God, what does God do? He is merciful and gracious, and He calmed that storm right away. And they experienced in one great fell swoop the justice and mercy of God. If you're in a crisis today, will you cry out to God? Even if you're not sure that He's there, will you cry out to God? Maybe you've been doing this for a long time and you just kind of gone through the motions. You know, for these next 21 days, will you really sink in and cry out to God and seek Him with all your heart? He says he'll meet you there. So the crew is crying out to the Lord. Jonah isn't. Jonah just wants to throw in the towel. Just throw me overboard. I'll just die. And that brings us to the second thing. The second way that God is gracious to Jonah is that he does not give Jonah what he wants. And that's a word for somebody here today. Maybe for me. God does not always give us what we want because it's not always what's best. And no doubt some of us are working through that right now that there was something that you wanted or that you thought was right and God did not give it. And I want you to see that God is gracious to Jonah in not giving Jonah what he wanted and quite frankly what he deserved. That God was still at work there Jonah deserved to get thrown overboard and die in the sea and this book never be written and we never know his name he deserved that but God that was Jonah's story and that's our story right but God that's what Ephesians tells us but God who is rich in mercy while you were still a sinner Christ died for you that's the gospel that's why we do what we do that's why we're here that's why we can walk across the street and across the town and into the city no matter what happens to us because we know that God is actively dispensing His grace to people who don't deserve it and that's our story. You don't have to know all the answers from this book to, to share your faith. You just tell them your story. Just tell them you're the wretch in the song about amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's all I got to tell people. You're Jonah, doing your own thing when you know you shouldn't. I'm Jonah. But God is gracious. The gospel is not advice, friends. It's not. Now, there's some great advice in here. But there's no guarantee if you follow everything in here that you're going to make a ton of money and have an easy life. In fact, it says the opposite. Anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And so as we think about that, God may be asking you to come back to him, to draw back to himself. And what what I want to do as we kick off this series and kick off this 21 days of prayer is I'm going to have the band come back up and I want to just lead you through the elements of communion. Just as a declaration of the truth that we aren't who we're supposed to be. We're not. Even on our best days there's selfishness. There's other things at play. And yet... God is who He is supposed to be. You know, as we think about prayer and as we think about coming boldly uh, in prayer to God, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4. gives us permission to do that, right? It gives us permission in Hebrews 4. It says this, let us, collectively, all of us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Make no mistake, it's a throne. And God sits on the throne and He does as He pleases. Just like those sailors figured out. That's true. He is a just God and He will make all things right. But He's also a gracious God. It's a throne of grace. And I love this. And this is just what I want to encourage you with today. That as you come boldly to the throne of grace over these next 21 days, as you do right now as we gather and take communion, that this is true as well. That we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen.